when I started here, we did $7 million in revenue, uh, lost $2 million that first year. Uh, the next year when I was uh, made the CEO, we did 14 and we had some positive earnings there. And uh, all the way up to last year, we did about $117 million and 30 of earnings. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am really excited to share today's episode with you. Mark Marmo is the CEO of Deep Well Services. His company is involved in the hydraulic drilling process for natural gas and oil deposits deep underground. We talk about how Frank got into the industry, the innovative methods that his company has developed and brought to market, and how important building a strong company culture has been to Mark transforming the company, hiring hundreds of people, and making it wildly profitable. I learned a lot from this. I also think I put my foot in my mouth a couple times, so stay patient with me throughout this interview and enjoy learning from Mark Marmo. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. My pleasure. I'm excited to be talking with you. I want to start off just explaining for folks the business of Deep Well Services. Um, so, so my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that this equipment used for hydraulic fracturing, this uh, vertical well that you know, is, is needed in order to extract stuff from the ground. You guys build that, you operate it, you manufacture it, or you operate it on behalf of other companies. Is that correct? Well, I'll just uh, start from the top. So yeah. what we do, we're on the completion phase of the well. Okay. Uh, so we do not fracture the well. Okay. The, high, the well's already been, in the horizontal, has already has already been fractured. Okay. Uh, somewhere upwards of, you know, 100 times. Uh, every time they fracture, uh, they put a plug in, and I get up to a hundred times right there. What we do after the well's been fracked, the plugs have been placed. We go down and drill those frack plugs out under pressure. Okay. We clean the well and we put the tubing in most times to uh, have the well produce oil or gas. Gotcha. That's what we do. So, how did you get into this line of work? Like, how did you end up interested in this specific domain? Uh, well, I would, prior to this job, I was I worked for a company called Talisman, which is now Repsol. Okay. They were down here in Warrendale. I was on the financial planning uh, and analysis side of the business there, and loved oil and gas, loved the energy space. Uh, I was approached by private equity originally here in Pittsburgh, Three Rivers Capital, to be the CFO. Uh, I have an accounting uh, background by trade, so. I uh, came in in 2012 as the CFO, and uh, the following year, they made me the CEO. And uh, part of the description on LinkedIn, but just in general, like, can you can you paint a picture of where the company was at that point in time, and then what kind of progress has been made here over the last seven yeah, years? Yeah, so when I started here, we did $7 million of revenue, uh, lost $2 million of, we'll call the word EBITDA, That's, if you know what that is, $2 million that first year. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was in bad shape. We had 25 people. Uh, the next year, when I was uh, made the CEO, we did 14, and we had some positive earnings there. And uh, all the way up to last year, we did about 117 million and 30 of earnings. Wow! And so 30 million. What do you 
how do you kind of break out how that was accomplished? Because that's that's a type of turnaround or that's a type of growth that not only will create opportunities for you in the future, should you, you want to try your hand at almost anything, but simultaneously like the kind of focus and the identification of kind of core issues, whether that was inefficiencies or, you know, growth, obviously it's, you, you figured out how to sell this a little bit more effectively, but also maybe just like larger secular tailwinds as the oil and gas industry here in Western Pennsylvania grew that also probably had uh, an upward lift. Yeah, you know, starting out at the time when I uh, said I wanted to be the CEO, I had no idea what was coming. Yeah. And uh, we, we tried two, three different times uh, with crews. We replaced crews, brought different people in. And really, you know, it took uh, about two to three years, really, after 13 to get the right people. Uh, we got the right people in here. And uh, when we started recruiting the right type of culture, people for our culture, was when we really started making a difference. We got people in here that were just very, very professional, very smart. They had some really uh, good ideas uh, on how to make things better in the industry. They uh, had worked on the old technology side of things their whole career and said, hey, if we do some things different, we could, uh, we could um, you know, really make a go of it here. Uh, so I, I listened to them. Uh, you know, through, we had a lot of ups and downs, but we created this uh, one piece of equipment uh, we don't manufacture it. We have someone else manufacture, but uh, we designed all these efficiencies. We're, we're competing right now. Our competitors have 20, 30-year-old technology. Our technology is about four or five years old. And so to some degree, you know, we, we've talked with another, um, I don't know if you've heard of Gecko Robotics, but they're also in the uh, oil and gas space, and they do these um, scans of uh, different equipment for basically structural integrity. And it's a similar thing where like we're competing with humans looking for cracks in a wall and we've got like a robot with however many thousand sensors. So it sounds like something similar where, you know, on, on, a, on a basis of if you're telling me it's more efficient at getting that oil and gas out of the ground or wh- whatever kind of like key metrics that you can then bring to the firm that would be choosing to either bring your equipment or someone else's equipment in, it almost starts to sell itself. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Well, yeah, it takes time because yeah. people are used to old technology. They're comfortable with it. And, you know, uh, you've, you're on a live well, and if you make a mistake on a live well, you're in trouble. You know, everybody on that pad is in trouble. The stakes are high. Yeah. You know, so uh, you could have a blowout, and the worst things could happen, right? So uh, it takes it takes time. It takes, you know, customers actually having uh, a little bit of foresight and, you know, maybe a little uh, risk taking. But once we proved, you know, the efficiency, we, we really tried to sell uh, that what we do, we could pay the day rate okay. when we're out on a pad. You know, we can be out there. If you're on a well, you could be out there three days. You could be out there five. We wanted to get off of that well immediately. And what we wanted to do was build a piece of equipment with all the efficiencies. We could deliver that to the pad in four or five trucks where our competition is going to be upwards of 10, maybe 15, 20 trucks. Wow. Uh, where we could put it on the uh, put it on the well and move it over or erect it, you know, within eight hours where our competition is going to be much longer. So our whole goal really is to get out there, get on the well, and get off immediately. Where, you know, you could see we're, uh, we're in the, you know, 20s, thousands a day, you know, and a little bit higher. Um, 
you know, if you're on that well a couple more days, you make more money. But our philosophy is we want to get off of it. Because if you get off of it quickly and you end up saving the client that brought you in that money, that's what guarantees that you're coming back right. for the next well and the next well and the next well. Our clients have what we call a burn rate. They have four or five, maybe six other services out there when we're there. And they're burning seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a day with everybody out there. So if we're off of that pad, although our prices are higher than our competition, if we're off that pad, everyone else is. And we're saving them eighty, maybe one hundred and sixty thousand bucks per well. And, and so the kind of calculation that they're making then is they've before they even drilled, kind of have a, a assessment. They don't know for sure, but approximately how much can be taken out with this specific well. And then it's really the kind of backing in uh, calculation of okay, it's going to cost this much to drill, cost this much to uh, fracture, cost this much to complete. Are there other elements there to the to the process that they're calculating? Yeah, they have. Like I said, they'll plan simple terms here. Six other services maybe being out there, and it's going to be eighty thousand dollars a day. So after we've drilled the well, we've fracked the well, we know those costs. Now we've got to totally complete it, uh, drill it out, and, and prepare it for production. So they know their AFE, their authorization for expenditure, what that's going to be. They uh, they expect us to be on there three and a half days, and our goal is to let's say get out there and get out of there in two and a half days. Gotcha. Save them. So if you could take it back again to 2013, you talked about these smart people. They kind of had a more efficient uh, structure idea for completion. What was kind of like the process of ramping it up? You, you talked about these staggeringly large uh, growth in revenue, growth in team size, growth in profit. But, you know, kind of at the early stages, I'd imagine that this is mostly an academic exercise at first. It's an engineer maybe, in, you know, looking at a screen, doing some calculations in order to kind of imagine this opportunity. And then some sort of test facility, uh, proof, you know, I don't know if there's regulatory approval associated with something like this, but can you kind of paint a picture for that process? Yeah, so uh, they had similar designs of equipment in the past where they went we went to a manufacturer and said hey we would like to do this and you know through the process of a couple of years of learning we, we took that you know maybe that first generation unit to generation six so that's really the whole design of the unit but then it's all of the other things that come in behind so just because you have the iron and you know, it doesn't mean anything it's the it's the we we made the company I I'd like to say uh, professional, the the good people that came in, you know from our back office uh, people our we have a, the greatest CFO to you know our president uh, to our safety people they designed the company to be professional so we're a little company here in Zelianople but we think we're a Halliburton yeah. You know, and carry and yourself that way. We do. So we uh, we're our, we have competency programs for every person. They're accredited competency. Where uh, we have a quality management system, API Q2. And I think still we're the only company that does what we do with that accreditation in North America. Uh, so you know, this little company here in Zeely is you know trying to be the bigwig. And I can see how those two things would kind of fit together because you can get a technological advantage you have the smart person whenever but it's almost like anything like i remember when uh what was the little camera called that everyone got a gopro was like the new thing and then 
you know, in short order, there were like eight different knockoffs of because it was just a smaller camera and someone had you know taken it apart and figured out how it worked and reassembled it. I'm sure you have degrees of intellectual property control, but really what the the long lever of, of brand equity and opportunity for the company is, hey, we like doing business with Deepwell Services. We like, you know, operating with them versus another provider. Right. And at the margins, it's still humans making these decisions. That's right. Yeah. So what's the question though, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted to maybe hear more about how you went about accomplishing that. So you talked about these standards, but if there's other... Yeah. You know, well, it's, it's a little bit of everything too. You know, you, you surround yourself with uh, mentors that say, okay, this is what you really want to do in the business. This is how you want to make a professional. Uh, we went from you know, just aside from just hiring people, we go and we do predictive index. We create a role for a job, and uh, we're not going to hire anybody that doesn't fit that role, their personality, uh, you know, and really look at the cultural fit. You know, so that's one step. You uh, treat your company uh, like we do. Like our, what we do isn't really regulated in the United States. Okay. Uh, so it's snubbing is the the technology that we do it's regulated in canada so we have a lot of about eight percent of our workforce is canadian and they brought that professionalism here so we actually treated the company like we wanted to be regulated to work in canada not our competitors don't do that here our quality management systems another one of the things that you know it just separates us so we want to go above and beyond we don't want to just show up and uh you know, get get on a well and get off. You know, we, we want to create all those efficiencies. You know, you're going to create efficiencies because we have a great training program. We want the best people out there, so we're going to pay 15 to 20 percent above market. Uh, we um, we're not going to. We have the newest equipment. You know, the newest technology. It's really you know, it's what every bit of different uh, the differentiators that we've created. It's what we do. What our competition doesn't do. Makes sense. So, in terms of different markets where this technology can be uh, deployed, there's obviously the story here in PA and Marcellus Shale. There's the Permian Basin down in Texas. Are those the two primary areas where you guys sell into? Like, how do you have to make those type of calculations in terms of, like, we're still talking about physical iron going in the ground. We can't necessarily fly that to the other side of the globe tomorrow. Yeah. So, our two main uh, basins right now are the Marcellus and the Utica, which are Ohio, PA, West Virginia. Uh, we're in the Permian, which is Texas, New Mexico. We will uh, be working in the Bakken, which is North Dakota, in January. So we're going to have a presence there. That's new? That'll be a new area. Nice. We are working in Argentina. So we're working with uh, YPF, the national company of Argentina. We have the only unit uh, of its kind in Argentina right now. We'll be training their people down there to run the equipment probably for one to two years and then uh, most likely we'll have uh, a two uh, two operations in the Mideast by the end of next year. Wow. So I would guess and please correct me if I'm wrong here but despite oil and gas being an enormous industry by just size and economic impact 
there's a degree to which it can be a relatively small world. And you can almost say this with like any B2B service, which is there's only so many players. Like there's only so many players here in the Marcellus Utica area. There's only so many players in the Permian, at least major players that are really like changing the trajectory of a company like Deepwells. And so as you're thinking about either a sales or marketing strategy, or just like, how do we kind of find the partnership with this successive company? It's a pretty limited list and a very kind of like focused attack for lack of a better word not the markets aren't big yeah is what you're saying right so yeah and again we uh we're big on data uh and market intel and again we've we have i think two of the one of the guy the person that handles our marketing intel uh matterini i believe you yeah. talked to him there's nobody better he knows exactly what's going on in all markets where they're going uh we pay attention to all of the intel that's out there from him. Uh, and we all, you know, really dig into it too. But we know uh, where you're going to be drilling, uh, who's going to be active, who isn't going to be active, and we go after it. And it's uh, it's a concerted effort, but um, we're very well prepared. Wherever Matt tells us to go, we go. <laughs> I like that. So, so another part of that, in terms of like who's drilling, where they're drilling, that's like maybe very micro, like, you know, site by site perhaps. But in the macro... Once again, as an outsider, we saw with the lockdowns and the uh, crazy geopolitical events of February, basically through April, uh, oil West Texas intermediate crude go into contango, uh, which basically indicates that the normal consumption patterns for uh, energy was just completely changed by the dynamics of the day. And as an outsider, it's fascinating, but it's almost abstract. It's like it's it's like the you know the ticker on a, a Wall Street symbol of like, hey, this price went in that direction. But I wasn't necessarily like maybe I felt it in like not that I was going out to fill my gas tank every day, but like oh whoa, this is like way cheaper gas than usual. In terms of your experience going through that similar period of time being in oil and gas, can you just tell us a little bit about what that was like and what you were taking in? You know, we have some uh, good advisors, board advisors, and uh, they've prepared us or given us a lot of information in the past. You know, the '80s was a really bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when 08 came across, that was a bad time. We had a downturn in 1516, which was really rough. It was rough. That was the roughest part was for us. That was the first one we really experienced here. Nothing was as bad as what this past year has been for our industry. You know, you think, I think the world uses about 100 million barrels of oil a day. Yeah. It went down 10 million a day. So uh, we had customers that just totally shut shut down operations. They shut all their they shut wells in. They stopped drilling. They stopped completing wells. We we had no work out there for a long period of time, and it's come back slightly, but it's very competitive now. Pricing is um, it's way off than 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 it was. We were looking at you know maybe 500 people by the end of this year, and we had to lay off about 110. So it's been uh, it's been the most challenging year of my entire career, but I also believe it's probably been the worst downturn in our industry ever. And so is an interpretation of like kind of finding these other markets, whether you, you referenced uh, Argentina or these other areas, is that partially kind of looking for new growth avenues? Yeah. Or yeah, so you know, the North American market is. Uh, I think it'll always be there, but it's going to be more regulated, especially yeah. if. You know, with the election yeah. and it's turned out, it's definitely not a favorable thing. So we actually made it a point at the beginning of 
probably 19 to start getting international. And that was the, the play, the Argentina. And it was really just to diversify our base. You're kind of de-risking it. to some degree. Argentina needs it. That's uh, a main source of income for the country. The country's in you know a lot of trouble financially. So we went there. The Mideast is always going to be drilling. Most of their country budgets are related to oil. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we and we have a lot of people that have worked overseas that have that experience. So it's really okay. We just go get people to know us. Uh, we can get the equipment over there, but our people know how to work there. So is a, a way to kind of interpret some of the impact of like a change in election and the, the changes to regulation, it's almost to some degree like you're downstream of that, right? So if someone's not drilling anymore, that means they're not, pay, they're not paying for those day rates, which means that you don't have anything for folks on your team to do. That's right. So yeah, more regulation. If they're not building pipelines, you can't put gas or oil into those pipelines. So, uh, you know, it's just if you're going from 15,000 wells a year in, a, uh, in the country being drilled, you're going down to 10. There's 5,000 less wells. You may even go down less than that. Yeah. So another thing from given your background as an accountant with a kind of a, a mind for finance and then also just being able to turn around a company in the way that you said where um, going from losing money to, you know, $30 million EBITDA. Was there any sort of, not that you can be prepared for such a kind of severe, uh, absurd downturn, but a degree to which you're, you're basically making these choices from a risk management standpoint of, hey, we're, you know, we're putting our pedal to the metal trying to get up to 500 people versus like, let's at least have something on the balance sheet so that if we, there is a storm, right. we're able to weather it. Yeah, we have, you know, we, we have a risk register, which we do. Uh, so, you know, what if, and then we manage the company really around that, you know, it's a as I said earlier, data is our biggest thing, but it's, uh, you know, what what risks are out there and how do we mitigate those risks? We never saw this one coming, but we did we did start seeing a downturn uh, in October of last year. And uh, so we're, the last three months of the year were um, slower than what we were used to. So we were kind of prepared. And again, you know, when I said we manage everything off data, we had some people, our back office here, uh, you know, set out, look, we're seeing a downturn. If we get to a certain point price-wise utilization, we're going to have to make these cuts. So we made the cuts actually fairly early. Because you already had the plan in place and we the had, kind of framework yeah, for what that needed you know, to look like. And that's really, you know, they, they did. That was, one of, that was probably the biggest reason we survived everything through. We have a very strong balance sheet that we've always managed to also, um, low debt and so forth. But we made the cuts early. And, um, we were way ahead of it, and it's really helped us. You know, this year we're used to obviously higher margins, but I think we're doing better than probably 90% of our competition. So the the de-risking and the diversification of locations that you sell into makes total sense. In terms of the way that, if you're kind of focused on snubbing or, or completion, is there the potential for an expansion of like the line of products or an expansion of the areas of that process that you guys are involved in or how constrained are you there from a competition standpoint do you mean just the market or like the the offerings that you're bringing in terms of like you've talked about going from v1 to v2 v3 v6 yeah. but that's kind of the same uh function effectively that yeah, they're okay. hiring for. yeah so again what we i think what we stayed ahead of is you know we see a lot of um you can only 
make the equipment so so good, right, or yeah. efficient. What else can we do? Uh, so we're going after data acquisition. That's a big thing. Again, it's just another efficiency. So what's going on down hole? How can we make decisions better when we're down, down hole? Or how do we help our uh, customer drill that well differently or complete it? So we're going after stuff like that data acquisition. You know, really one of our four main things uh, for the next year will be uh, data acquisition and and things like uh, maybe a, some different lines of business that we're we're doing that go along with us and manage that a little bit better. So um, that's really again you know an initiative for the next couple of years. Gotcha. That's just about all of my questions. I don't know maybe if you can like. Any other stories about Deepwell that that you can share on on camera on recording? No, I guess the the most positive is uh, you can do you, you know you can really do anything with a good culture. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody anywhere you go, anybody that looks for uh, a job anytime going forward, it's look for the culture. Uh, the people are the most important. Everyone wants to say maybe sometimes uh, the customers are that's nah, the people that work in your company make it a family uh, i think that's what we have here and um that's been the uh you know i guess the the biggest pleasure of working at Deepwell is is the, the people that we have here we truly do we love each other and we have our differences here and there but it's uh it's a great culture and it's fun to come it's not a job yeah it's it's a passion and uh you don't you know Rue getting out of bed in the morning. You, uh, you know, you love doing what you do. It's shocking to me how many times we've heard that from companies like yours that have experienced that type of growth trajectory. So we talked before we started recording about the office furniture wholesaler and COE distributing out in Uniontown. Exact same story. They are so focused on how do we train our people better? How do we empower our people? How do we, you know, keep them safe? Keep them compensated? All these different kind of factors. And I mean, you know, as, as owner of a, a small company myself, like it's, it's, you know, been beaten into my head effectively how important that is. Empathy is a, a key word. Yeah. And, you know, you, you make it that you know everybody, you know, if someone has a baby, you're sending them a gift or if they get married, you're sending them something. If someone needs help, you're there. And I, great example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, an employee reached out and had some issues uh, back home and. I reached out to a couple people, and they needed some presents sent to the kids and so forth. The one lady here wrapped presents, sent them out to them. Uh, we uh, offered, uh, took some donations and so forth and helped them out. That's just what the people here do. They love being a part of something special. And when you make it that way, it's easy to succeed, plain and simple. That's beautiful. So was there a, a point in time before, you know, you said you wanted to step up. I, I want to be CEO. I think I can run this ship. There had to be at some point before that, that it was clear to you, you're like when I'm in charge, like when, when I have the reins of something, we are putting our people and our culture front and center. When did that become apparent? Yeah, it's some places I worked prior. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it, they didn't treat people the way that I would like to have been treated. So it, I, in some ways they taught me how not to be. Yeah, that can be a good teacher. You know, and uh, and I try to go out of my way here. Uh, we try to go out of our way here, really just that word empathy, uh, not being a bully, and, uh, you know, doing the best we can for other people. 
that had that mindset had to have made the layoffs pretty hard then too. Yeah, it's it's horrible. You know, we all took pay cuts and having to do stuff like that. You want to pay bonuses. You want to hire people, give them a job at a, what you feel was the best company around. And when you have to lay them off, it's tough. It's yeah. very tough. Well, uh, I, I admire the the perseverance and the stick-to-itiveness to continue here with Deepwell. And uh, I want people to be able to check out everything that you guys are doing. So uh, what digital coordinates can we provide people that want to learn more? You know, our LinkedIn page, uh, I know we're real proud. I think we just hit 15,000 followers. But go look at that. We have training videos out there. Uh, and just really to see what kind of company we are. Obviously, the website, Matt does very well with that also. Um, I know they have a Facebook page. I'm not on that evil website or whatever that is but uh um, th- those are the big ones respect for the people that are we'll send them there. yeah <laughs> um if you want to check out those links if you want to learn more about deepo and mark uh it is in the podcast app where you're probably playing uh listening to this right now uh and also available at going slash podcast for this and every episode of the show uh but before we let you go mark i want to give the mic a final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience you said that earlier i, I would say the the one thing that anybody out there that's uh maybe just starting out coming out of college and so forth uh find that uh find that one person that will um you know that will help you go out you know that uh, the network let's say go get the build that network get find that sponsor that person that's going to stick their neck out for you go build that network because it's going to be people that help you get everywhere you're not going to really do it on your own you're never going to do that and then uh find that culture you know and you know, obviously you have to have the passion for what you do but if you find if you do those i think three things you're going to you're going to have a great career were there any things that you did in the early stages specifically to find that mentor or to get that mentor like you realize yo that person's speaking truth i need to just yeah, get proximate i think as you grow as you get older and you experience things you just find how important it really is uh it's not necessarily what i i i, I think you know i lucked into it in yeah. a lot of ways i wish that i knew that when i was younger um, because i think it would have been probably even ahead of the game even more but um yeah i think that's really what you want to, you know, that, that, that's what handles it all. Right on. Well, Mark, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show My and pleasure. sharing some time with me. Thank you. We just went deep with Mark Marmo. Hope for not there. Has a fantastic day. so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Mark. If you are interested in the oil and gas and energy space, then I would encourage you to check out a interview that we did earlier this year with Matt Weischek. Matt is involved in the purchasing and sale of land rights for different use cases. And he talked a little bit, not only about the markets for oil and gas, but also for another part of this very large and complex sector of the economy. I learned a lot and I will continue to learn right here on this show. Make sure you're subscribed. We have five guests already booked for the coming month. They are incredibly fascinating and I think that you're going to enjoy learning from them. Keep it tuned to Going Deep. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.